Welcome to the Worship Place Podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. I want to turn our attention to 2 Kings chapter number 4, verses 28 through 37. If something has died in your relationship with God, there's a resurrector in this place today that could bring it all back. So she said, this is the, uh, this is the uh, Shulamite woman who had received a son by way of the prophet Elisha. Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Some versions say, disappoint me. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them, laid the staff on the face of the child, dead child, I might add, as you know, if you know the story. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child. And the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and went up again and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times. Can anybody say hachoo, my Lord? And the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in fell at his feet and bowed to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. He sneezed seven times, and then his eyes opened. I want to preach for a few minutes on the signs of life. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your spirit. We pray that the hand of God would minister here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Smile at someone. Don't sneeze at them. COVID's made us all paranoid about that kind of thing. For those of you that might have read the paper this morning, you might have seen the same article that I saw, and that is that scientists have manufactured a human life without a mother or father. Apparently, they took stem cells, they put them in, you know, laboratory conditions and got them to begin to divide and 
They said they got as far as uh, a 14-day-old fetus. It looked the same in every respect as a human fetus from human stem cells, but no father or no mother. Now, that, that kind of thing kind of concerns me a little bit. If you don't have a father and you don't have a mother and you're, you're la- a laboratory as your parent, you probably you may, you may not have a soul by the time it's all done. Uh, I believe we ought to leave the reproduction business up to God and to nature. Now, if you have to have a little help, that's one thing. But for it to be totally manufactured uh, in the absence of parents, uh, that's not the kind of life that I believe uh, God is interested in dispersing throughout the land today. People are looking for computer life. They want, they want machines to come alive. I don't know why they're so interested in computers reaching the point where it seems like it seems like they're sentient because they can fool you. Computers lie. Did you know that? They're having a problem with lying chat GTP, GPT right now because the computers can fabricate stories, statistics, and fool people. But I know, I know of someone who cannot lie. I know of a book that's always true. All flesh is as grass. Glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower fades away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And so I want to talk about these. This, let me just lay the groundwork. This was a lady and husband that had a lot of stuff, but they didn't have any children. And they noticed that the traverse of Elijah the prophet would come by from time to time. And so they said, why don't we build a room for the man of God in our house? Let me say this. Because they built a room for the man of God in their, in their house, it drew the man of God into their set of circumstances. Now, for those of you that are interested in keeping the man of God at an arm's length relationship, uh, good luck with that. I mean, I mean, you can try it. Many people have tried. But if you want to invite the favor, the blessing, the power, Make a place in your heart for the man of God. If you want your children to grow up with confidence in the ministry, make a place in your house for the man. He's not perfect, but make a place where the kids can hear that the man, there's a man of God, there's a woman of God, there are leaders in the church that are good people that will help. Come on, somebody. Otherwise, the consequences could be very grim. So because there was a place, the man of God noticed that there was no pitter-patter of little feet. There was no, no mess makers around. <clears throat> and, and, and he said, and he looked at her and he got a word from the Lord and he said, by this time next year, you're going to have a child. This is when she said, don't deceive me. Don't get me to get my hopes up only to have them dashed against a stone. The man of God did not retreat, and Elisha said, it's going to be this way. And so it was according to the word. Would anybody like a word from the Lord today? Would you be open to a word from the Lord today? Praise God. Hallelujah. 
Is there anybody that would like to have a word for somebody in the service today? Well, let me tell you how you're not going to have a word for someone in the service. And that is if you want to be used in the gifts of the Spirit to elevate yourself. The gifts of the Spirit are designed to operate, amen, where one person is ministering to the need of another person. Praise God. They're designed to operate in the context of relationships, not in a vacuum, not in a theoretical realm, but where one person stands in front of another person and they're hit with a revelation or a word and they say, this is what the Lord is telling me to tell you. But you have to have a you have to have people on your mind if you want to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit. If you have glory on your mind and you say, Lord, I just want to have a healing ministry. I can see them all coming to me now from the north, from the south, from the east. You're not going to get one. But if your mind is occupied with folks who are broken and wounded and bruised and sick, and, you say, and you're moved with compassion for people that are not well. There's quite po- it's quite possible that God could put healing in your hand and you could lay your hand on the fevered brow of somebody who needs a miracle and it come to pass. So it's people. It's the gifts of the Spirit bring people together so that God can minister to people. She got her blessing through the hand of the man of God. But watch this. Some blessings are short-lived. Now, I understand that the multimillionaire group is doing everything they can to extend their life. One 45-year-old billionaire is actually having blood drawn from his teenage son, transferred to him every month because he thinks that's going to help him live longer. And then he is transferring his blood to his 70-year-old daddy every month. Some kind of blood transfer. I believe in blood transfer, but I don't want your blood. I want his blood. You want to live a good life? You need the blood of Jesus. You need the name of Jesus. You need the power of Jesus. But anyway, uh, here's the blessing. It came from God. It came at the hand of the prophet, but the boy died. Let me say this about God's blessings and promises. They're not invulnerable to the vicissitudes. I know that's a 50 cent word. That means the ups and downs of life. Sometimes life happens. And the thing we legitimately got from God somehow either gets lost or dies along the wayside. The child was dead. This special gift, this promise that was fulfilled by the mouth of the prophet now dies on his mama's knees. And I want to say this, how many promises given by a word of prophecy have been allowed to die for the lack of nourishment? When you get a word from God, that's not the time to go on a spiritual vacation. That's the time to engage in protective prayers to preserve the path. Oh, hell. Come on, when God gives you a baby, moms and dads, do you just say, oh, well, que sera, sera. 
whatever will be. Oh, no, you don't. Amen. You begin laying the groundwork for a promising future. Dedicate them. Amen. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Come on, you believe for them. You wrap the name of Jesus around them because you know that this gift of life needs all the help it can get. And so we get a promise from God and then we just go on a spiritual vacation and we forget about worship. We forget about reinforcing it. Don't, I want to say this, don't let what God has promised he would do for you die. He still means what he says. He still is the doer of the deed. He still is a miracle worker. He just wants you to nourish it. Hallelujah. Life requires nourishment. Come on, I need about 50 people that refuse to give up on brand new converts when they get the Holy Ghost. That's not where you wash your hands of them and say you're on your own. You say, well, that's the way they did me in the church and I made it. Yeah, don't, don't perpetuate, amen, a malfunction. We need people that will nurture and pray and fellowship and care and love. Hallelujah. And so, why, why? Why do sometimes gifts die? Why do sometimes things go by the wayside? Why do sometimes blessings sort of disappear on us? Well, sometimes it may be God putting us through a little test. This is a test. This is only a test. To see if you love the gift more than you love the giver. Thank God for the gift. But don't love the gift more than you love the giver. Or he might have to, he might, he might have to have a put a little a little challenge on you so that he can remind you to stay in love with Jesus. Let me illustrate it for a minute with Gideon. You know Gideon, the coward, saved by danger, almost destroyed by success. That's the part of Gideon's story we seldom entertain. Yeah, the Midianites came and raided, 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 stole their crops, their corn, their grain, year after year after year. Gideon had developed what they call learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. That's when you've been defeated so many times, you give up trying. You expect to be defeated. You can't even be talked out of defeat by God himself. Get in, you mighty man of valor. Oh, God, you got the wrong guy. No, God is with you. God, if you were with us, why have all these things happened? Can you imagine talking to God like that? Why have all these things befallen us? Finally, you know the story. I won't go through all the details, but God took a man that was a consummate coward and turned him into a military champion and turned him into a man of courage. The man who said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Boy, somebody did some kind of a good number on his self-image. I'm, I'm from the lowest, and I'm lowest of the low. But I don't care how low you think you may be. If God has a plan for your life, he can resurrect what you think is long gone and dead. He can make a champion out of you and you and you and you. Hallelujah. 
But something happens after the victory. After Gideon and his men chase down the rebel Midianites and defeat them. And he comes back with the laurels of victory and the spoils of war. Look at Judges 8 and verse number 22. It says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. Kind of like they did in the colonies when George Washington brought back victory against the British. They literally wanted to make him a king. This is what they wanted for Gideon. Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of the Midian. Of Midian. Here, let me remind you, for those of you that wonder if victory is worth it, here is the conqueror's prerogative, and that is generational rule. Don't forget that. There are victories that you win in your life that you don't win them just for you. You win them for your children and for your children's children. So the next time you wonder if it's worth it, like my wife said, to fight, to fight temptation, fight alcoholism, fight pornography, fight sin, fight adultery. If you ever wonder if it's worth it, fight and win because you're not just winning for you, you're winning for the next generation. Come on, praise him. Praise him for generational victory. But Gideon said, oh no, I will not rule over you. And my son isn't gonna rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Hallelujah. And so he says, God's gonna be the ruler. Verse 24, then Gideon said it to them, but I would like a little something I'd like one of your earrings off of every ear, a golden earring off of every ear from all the Mishmaelites we, we killed. And watch this. Now Gideon is about to be plundered by plunder. Remember, he started out as a defeated nobody. He ends up as a military genius. Now he refuses the opportunity to be a king. And so they said, verse 25, they gladly spread out a garment through all the earrings and things that they got from the plunder. Verse 26, now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. I had to look that up, about 75, pound, 75 pounds. Today's market, about two and a half million bucks. Not bad wages for a day's work. And there was nothing wrong with collecting the spoil, but it's what he did with it. Then Gideon made the gold into an ephod. That's a priest garment. And he set it up in his city. And Israel played the harlot before it. Do you remember that one of the first projects that Gideon had to do was destroy the idols of his father's house? And now the spirit, the generational spirit of idolatry sneaks back up on him in the time of his victory. And he makes a priestly garment out of gold and sets it up in the city center and they began to play the harlotry before it. Just the very kind of spirit of idolatry that Gideon had to defeat in order to win the victory. He now, like I said, he was saved, right, by trouble. And now he's about almost to be lost by success. After the victory, Gideon releases a generational spirit of idolatry on his own people and just about loses it. 
So I said that to say this, the gifts and the favor and the blessings of God are an ebb and a flow. But remember, it's all relationship-based. It's relationship-based. So if something is faded, it isn't that God hates you, it's that God loves you. And he's calling you to recapture it. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is in you. It's a generational gift. It was in your grandmother. It was in your mother. It's in you. But just kind of gotten dormant. Let's stir it up so that you can be useful to the kingdom of God. I want to say this in the Holy Ghost. Uh, if what you've had, you don't seem to have it anymore, there is someone in this room that can raise it back up to life again. I feel signs of life in this house. Uh, somebody is going to get their victory back. Somebody is going to get their faith back. Somebody is going to gift their gift back in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost power. Hallelujah. Put your hands together and give God some praise. All right, I'm going to close here. How do you resurrect a gift? Call for help. <laughs> Go back to the source that gave it to you. Don't change sources. The gift came through the hand of the prophet to the prophet Mama Goes to get a reinstatement of the promise. Secondly, don't settle for a substitute. Elisha sent Gehazi, but she didn't want Gehazi. Gehazi wasn't the originator of the promise. So I want the man of God. She said, I'm not leaving your side. I'm staying with you. So my son comes back to life again. <laughs> and so Elisha goes to the room that she had prepared for the prophet. And in the room, in the space that she carved out for the ministry in her life was the place where the dead child was. And it was the place where the dead gift will be raised again. And so you know, the prophet stretches. God, you know, before we do the heavy lifting and the altar, we need to stretch a little bit. That's what worship is all about. Now, I'm old enough to remember Jack LaLanne. Remember when I watched Jack LaLanne? Did you notice what I noticed? We watched him for a half an hour, but nobody did any exercises. All right, everybody. Some of you are looking. He was an exercise guy. Breathe. We watched him, but nobody did any of the exercises. Oh, my God. Do you come here just to watch, or do you come here to engage the presence of God in an active, measurable, powerful way? Do you want to take the power of God, come up against your circumstances like David and say, you come to me with a sword and with a shield, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Somebody stand to your feet. Come to your problem in the name of the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. Stretch yourself. Stretch yourself out over it in the name of Jesus until life comes back. Come on, somebody is snoozing when you should be sneezing. It's time to sneeze. A sneeze was the sign of life. You know what a sneeze is among other things? It's an I can't help myself moment. 
Why did you do that? I couldn't help myself. Oh, praise God. God, give us, I can't help myself breakthrough. Give us a moment. This is, uh, okay, I've held it long enough. Oh, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I gotta let God have his way now because I need a miracle in my life in Jesus' name. You don't sneeze because you want to. Nobody wants to sneeze. You sneeze because you have to. Oh my God. Hallelujah. I got it. Does anybody have to have a miracle? You have to have an answer. You have to have a breakthrough. This moment is for you. Here's another thing it's not signs of life. Sneezing, uh, you don't have to take lessons. You don't have to read an article. You don't have to Google it. It's automatic. You don't have to learn it. You just have to let it out. Oh, God. And watch this. Sneezing comes in the series. Seldom is it just... (laughs) Sometimes you have a sneezing attack. Sometimes you have a sneezing fit. Someone came to a Pentecostal church for the first time. He told the guy that brought him, your church has fits. He says, yes, it does. They're benefits. Is anybody interested? Is anybody interested in deriving a benefit here today? All right, all right. You get it, you get it, I think. We sneeze because we're allergic. Pardon me. That's my allergy to death. I, I, I don't want to be dead on the vine. I want to be alive and thriving and vibrant and powerful for God. <clears throat> I'm allergic to poverty as well. Every time I get around a poverty spirit and it wants to tell me you're broke, you're a loser, you'll never amount to anything. <clears throat> That's my allergy to carnality. Yeah, the flesh is our constant opponent, uh, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. <clears throat> I'm an allergy to pain. I'm not going to let pain slow me down and stop my worship and tie my feet and keep my hand down. But when I feel pain, I'm going to sneeze it out. Hallelujah. How about this one? That's my allergy to religion. Going to church is not enough. I need a touch from God. Would you come to the altar right now, lift your hands, and let God bring something to life. Bring faith to life. Bring family to life. Hallelujah. Bring health. Oh, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you haven't spoken with other tongue as the Spirit gives the utterance, come receive life.